Last week I spoke to you about our need to reconnect as believers in Jesus Christ. Those of you here with me today, welcome. Those watching on television, online, thank you for joining us today. We're continuing this idea of how we might rethink, revise, redo in this new year. One of the primary ways that we reconnect is by coming together. We believe the first step for every person with our church is come. You'll notice the graphic has the arrow pointing to the cross. That we're coming together toward Jesus Christ. Last week I said in my message that I would tell you why we should come together to worship. Let's begin by looking in the Bible where the greatest worship is happening. I'll be in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5 to begin with this morning. We come to Revelation, the book. It's a mysterious book, a difficult book to interpret, yet the author of the book is certain. His name is John. He is John the Apostle, John the beloved disciple of Jesus Christ. And at the time that he writes the book of Revelation, he is an older man. He's perhaps the only living disciple left. He tells us he's also been persecuted. He's living in exile on an island called Patmos. We know nothing about the community there, how many people were there with him. We're simply told he was in exile, exiled, persecuted, living on an island. He tells us in chapter 1 that he was in the spirit. Spirit, and it's on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday, and then he hears a voice behind him telling him to write down on a scroll what he saw, that he might then send that message to seven specific churches there in Asia Minor. But John, like all of us, was curious who it was that was speaking to him, so he turned around. And what did he see? He saw seven golden lampstands. Now John was very closely, intimately connected to Jesus Christ. He doesn't say that he saw Jesus though. He says he saw one who was like a son of man. And that he was wearing a robe all the way down to his feet. And that on him was a golden sash over his chest, his eyes were like fire, his feet were like bronze going through a furnace. In his hands, he was holding seven stars. His voice sounded like the voice of many rushing waters, John said. And his hair was white as wool, as white as snow, John says. He had the stars, the seven stars that he was holding in his right hand out of his mouth was coming forth a sharp two-edged sword. And his face, John says, was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. Now we know who this is. We have the luxury of reading the whole book of Revelation. We know who this is. But John, as an old man, did not know who it was he was encountering. And his response to Jesus, the Son of Man, fully glorified, fully 
empowered in heaven with all the splendor of who he was, all John could do was to fall down like a dead man. He fainted. He collapsed in awe and wonder of what he had seen and what he had heard. But then he says, the Son of Man reached forth his right hand and touched him and said, Do not be afraid, because now the man identifies himself. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, but now look, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death in Hades. Then he tells John, Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. And that's what John does. He writes it all down, chapter 1. We read it together. And then he writes down chapter 2 and chapter 3. And it's seven specific messages from the Lord to these churches in Asia Minor, each one by name. And then we come to chapter 4. And John says that after this, I looked. And before me there was a door open in heaven. It was standing open, waiting for him. And then he hears a voice, the same voice that had spoken to him in chapter 1, speaks again saying, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. John says, at once I was in the Spirit and there before me, he'd been transported. There before me was the throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And we find in Revelation chapter 4 that John is transported to the very throne room of God in heaven. He says he sees 24 elders all sitting on thrones around that central throne. And, and there was like a rainbow around that central throne, the one sitting on it. He never, John never says who the one is on the throne, but the creatures in heaven are going to declare who it is. It's the Lord God Almighty. And John says there's thunder and lightning coming forth from the throne, and there is a, a sea of glass in front of the throne. And then he describes very strangely these four living creatures, and he tells us that day and night they never stopped Crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And John says that when these living creatures are declaring how holy God is, praising the one who lives on the throne forever and ever, John says those 24 elders who are sitting on their thrones fall down before the Lord on His throne and they lay their crowns there at the feet of God, at the foot of that throne. And they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. Then we come to chapter 5 and it continues. John writes, I saw in the right hand of him who sits on the throne, a scroll that had writing on both sides of it. And it was also sealed with seven seals. And then he said, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look at it. 
John responds. He says, I wept and I wept because there was no one found worthy to open the scroll and look inside. But then one of those elders, remember the 24 elders who had fallen down with their crowns? One of those elders (laughs) spoke to John and said to him, do not weep. See, look, see, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then John describes not what he would call a son of man, but he says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, now encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And the Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, John says, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out unto all the earth. And then that Lamb went to that throne and took The scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken that scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, all then fell down before the Lamb. Now each one of them, were told, the creatures and the elders, had a harp. And they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, John says saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And by your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then John looks. He looks, and he hears The voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand upon ten thousand. And they encircle the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders. And in a loud voice, they're all saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, and wealth, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and praise. Then John says, I heard every creature in heaven, on the earth, under the earth, on the seas, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Church, let us look nowhere else to find motivation for why we should come together to worship God. Number one, the first truth this morning from Revelation 4 and 5 is this. We come to worship because Jesus is supremely worthy of our praise. That's why we come and worship God because Jesus is supremely worthy of our praise. I'm convinced, I'm convinced, people of God. That the church of Jesus Christ would not be where we find ourselves in our country, in our world, if we truly realized that worship is first and foremost about giving Jesus the glory and the honor and the praise that he deserves. We can call what we plan and schedule a worship service. 
And worship can definitely take place in these scheduled gatherings of the people of God. But just because we refer to something as a worship service or I'm going to worship doesn't mean the kind of worship described for us here in Revelation 4 and 5 is truly taking place. Worship at its core is a declaration of who God is. That's what we find the four living creatures doing. They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. And they, and they keep saying it over and over and over again. I love the way we began by reading the scripture, by hearing the word of God. Our worship, our preaching, our living, our lives must declare who God is. He is holy. What does that mean? It means he's separate. He is other. He is set apart. He is transcendent. He is pure. He is unlike anyone else. Yes, we are made in his image. We are precious to God. Of all living creatures, as human beings, we are made male and female in God's image. No other creature has what we have in us, made to reflect God. But we are not God. He is God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But also the elders, we see them. We see them get off of their thrones. And they don't come to the Lord empty-handed. They bring Him all they have. They take their crowns. Now, why were they given crowns? Whatever rewards they were given, whatever authority they had, they took all they had and they lay it before the Lord God and they bow down and worship and proclaim once again who God is. You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things. So already in chapter 4, we find true worship. A declaration that God is holy, holy, holy. And that God is sovereign. He is king. He is the maker. He is the creator of everyone and everything. Therefore, he sets the standard. He is God. We are not. They knew their place. And it was face down and worship before the living God. I think one big reason why we as Christians struggle so much in our worship of the Lord God is that we are unwilling to get off of our thrones. We all have thrones, you know. You might have a throne that sits in front of your, um, you may call it the throne, sitting in front of your television set, your special seat, right? Uh, we have all kinds of thrones in our life. That is the people, the things, the talents, the abilities, even the ideas that we kind of think that we're in charge of, we're the rulers of. But there is only one king and one throne, and it belongs to the Lord. What does the Bible say in Genesis 22? It says that God gave a command to Abraham. To take his one and only son, Isaac, and to offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that God would show him. Abraham wakes up the next morning. He obeys God. He takes some of his servants and his son, Isaac, and they go to the place that God would show him to go. And what does Abraham say to his servants when he tells them to to stay put? He says, stay here. The boy and I will go over and worship. First time the word worship is ever used in the Bible. Genesis 22. 
So worship would cost Abraham all that he had. The son of promise, the whole hope of being a blessing to all people, coming forth from his own body, his son. He was willing to put his son to death. Of course, God intervened and provided a ram, a substitute, just as Jesus is our substitute who died for our sins. But don't miss that Abraham, it costs him something in his worship. We've made worship services and the whole atmosphere of worship in our world, and especially in the U.S., it's just about comfort. It's about giving glory and honor and praise to Jesus and bringing something to God and declaring He is worthy of our praise, glory, and worship because He's holy and the creator of all things. How can we not humbly bow before this king? And as glorious as Revelation chapter 4 is, Revelation 5 gets even better. Because we see all of heaven, not just the elders, not just the living creatures, but all of heaven gets involved. Heaven erupts into boisterous praise and everyone there is participating. Thousands upon thousands, ten thousands upon ten thousands, angels surrounding the throne of God, joining with the elders, joining with the living creatures in praise and worship. Whoever said, whoever said that giving glory and honor and praise to Jesus is supposed to be quiet? Now, I said the last hour, the, the, the louder we get in our amens and hallelujah, the faster I preach and the better I preach. Right? So, I mean, whoever said, I'm not, surely the Bible tells us that we are to be still before the Lord and know He is God, that let our words be few. There's a right time, a time for, for humility and silence before the Lord, but that's not what John finds in Revelation 5. It's loud and it is boisterous. And it is glorious. And God doesn't say, now y'all stop. You're, being, you're getting too carried away. No, no, no. Because Jesus is worthy of all the glory and honor and praise that he's receiving in that moment that John is watching. I mean, John is just caught up into heaven. He's getting a glimpse. He is the only spectator that we find. And I'm glad that he is because he's writing down what he experienced. But even John was moved and touched to tears because no one could be found to open the scroll. But then he saw the Lamb of God, Jesus, and they're all just crying out together, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And every creature, we're told, on earth, under the earth. And on the sea, and all that's in the sea, that's everybody, everything, John says, is saying to him who sits on the throne, the Lord God, Yahweh Almighty, and to the Lamb, the resurrected, glorified Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory forever and ever. And it just keeps going on. Everyone participates. I must ask the question, are we participating in our worship of Jesus Christ? Are you fully engaged or just a spectator? 
You could be fully engaged for an hour, yet for every other hour of the week, not even think about God. That's not being fully engaged. We're to be fully involved, engaged. There's no such thing as spectator Christianity. We're to be engaged in our worship and praise and submission and giving glory and honor to Jesus. Second kind of application about our Lord Jesus being supremely worthy of our praise is that too many times we like to be the ones who judge how successful worship really is. Whether the song spoke to us or the sermon ministered to our hearts. And our songs should point our hearts to Jesus. The sermons should be excellent to the glory of God. But we're not the judges of whether worship is really worship or not. There's only one metric, one standard of true and right worship. And it's this. Are we giving glory and honor to Jesus that he deserves? So it could be in the largest facilities, sanctuaries, auditoriums all over the country that hundreds of people are gathered and they're singing and they're rejoicing and they're praising. And yes, worship is taking place. We look at that from the outside. Man, look at that. All those people giving worship. But could it be in North Korea, in the underground church that if you raise your voice loudly in praise and worship they will come for you and they will take you away and probably kill you that in those moments that those huddled believers just a few are giving Jesus the more glory and honor and praise in any loud boisterous auditorium Jesus knows who is giving him the praise he deserves. He sees the heart. We look at the outside. God looks at the heart. If we're going to give Jesus the praise he deserves, it's 24-7. It's every day, not just an hour a week. We must, though, come together to worship our God because he's supremely worthy of our praise. Let me speak briefly now to those watching on television, those that are online engaged right now with us. Just because you're not back together in person yet with the people of God does not mean you cannot worship God in fullness and truth and give Him praise and honor and glory in your family group, in your small group. You can do that wherever you are. And we come together with God's people because Jesus Christ is worthy of all praise. Now, if you have your Bibles, flip Back in the New Testament to first the book of Hebrews and then the book of Acts. I want to conclude the message by looking at two foundational passages in our New Testaments that speak toward the importance of why we're to come together as God's people. The passage first found is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. It's in the context of of appearing before God, of coming to God with a pure heart and conscience being sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus, approaching Him through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And what do we find in verse 23? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. I believe that you and I can hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, that we we can and we will if the next two verses will take place in our lives. How do we hold fast? 
24 tells us. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good work. I think King James says spur one another on toward love and good deeds. 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the first truth is that we come to worship to give Jesus the glory, the supreme honor and praise he deserves. But secondly, we come to meet together to encourage one another. That's the whole reason that we're together. First, to give praise and glory and honor to God that he deserves. But secondly, to encourage each other. The heart of Hebrews 10 and 24 and 25 is encouragement. Look, you, you cannot be encouraged by another Christian if you're by yourself. The very definition of encouragement means that somebody is speaking into your life and you're with someone else. You cannot be encouraged or encourage someone else. Now, you can listen to a sermon online, I know that. Some of you are watching online and I pray it's encouraging you. But true encouragement, you've got to be with people. I tell you, we can be creative in, in these pandemic days we find ourselves in. I'm in a a cohort, a leadership cohort through our North American Mission Board with 10 other pastors and we're all doing it every Thursday morning on Zoom, online. There's a pastor from Vermont, from Texas, from Georgia, from Florida, from Mississippi, from all over the place and we're nothing but faces on a screen and we're, we're telling our stories about what God has done in our lives and there's real fellowship happening. There's real encouragement. I was, I was blessed last week because of my one hour on a computer screen. Having community. We can and we must gather together to encourage each other. The Bible says here that we're, we're to stir up one another. Now, you may have some folks in your family who are real good at stirring you up. I had a pastor who mentored me in Opelika. First time I went to Israel with Pastor Steve Scoggins and several other staff members at First Baptist Opelika. We were in that small little minivan driving through the nation of Israel. And Pastor Steve had worked multiple times with our tour guide, a devout follower of Jesus. But he was not Jewish. He was not Messianic. He was a Palestinian, a Gentile Christian. And one time, we're driving along, I think we're looking at some settlements in the West Bank, some Jewish settlements there in Palestinian territory. And Steve turned around and said, hey guys, watch this. <laughs> and then Steve launched into politics with McCool, our tour guide. And McCool just went off for about 30 minutes talking about the injustness of the Jewish people. I mean, he did not act like Jewish people at all. He just did not. And so he just went off on a tirade. And Steve just stirred the pot. Shame on him. We are to stir up each other to love and good deeds. We're to spur each other on. Not kick, but spur, right? There's a difference. Prod, encourage each other to do what? To love each other more and to do good works. He says, but encouraging each other. Not neglecting meeting together because we can't encourage if we neglect to be together. And we're going to encourage Each other less? No, all the more as we see the day approaching. Here's a quick Bible quiz to test your knowledge. 
Is the second coming of Jesus sooner now for us than it was for the people in the New Testament? Yes. Correct. You made an A, 100, 100 A+. Plus. If the coming of Jesus is sooner for us, no one knows the day or the hour, but he's coming again. If it's sooner for us who live than those believers in the book of Acts and the book of Hebrews, why do we meet less then than they met? I'm just, I'm just, just speaking the truth, all right? The writer says we should be meeting together all the more as we see the day approaching. Not because we're supposed to meet together, but because we're going to encourage each other all the more. First passage, Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Second passage, Acts 2. Turn back to the book of Acts. I love how Ken Adams from Crossroads Church says the Lord Jesus started the church the way he wanted it. Now he wants his church the way he started it. Here's the blueprint, Acts chapter 2. What's happened in the, in the chapter? Well, the Holy Spirit's come the day of Pentecost, and the disciples are filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's tongues of fire. They speak in different languages. A crowd gathers, and Peter, who was so afraid to say a word for Jesus when it might cost him his life, now stands up with boldness and preaches a message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and 3,000 people get saved. That's a pretty good first sermon for Peter. And they baptize these new believers. And then we find a snapshot, a picture of the church in its infancy. Now look, I'm going to read these verses, 42 through 47. But know this, if you keep reading the book of Acts, they're going to have problems. People falling dead and worship certain, not because they're having heart attack, because God's striking them down, because they're being dishonest, widows being overlooked, confusion about, all kinds of stuff. They're having all kinds of challenges and conflicts and problems. Missionaries like Paul and Barnabas who just can't get along, that separate. I mean, they're not, they're not perfect. But what we find in Acts 2, 42-47 is just about as perfect that we're going to find of the church in its infancy, in its purity, in its glory. Look here, verse 42. It's a summary statement. This is what Luke says was taking place in those early days. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were all selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, don't miss that. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we, when we come together as the church, as believers, there should be several things taking place as we gather, first, a devotion to the apostles' teaching. What is that for us? Devotion to the Word of God. If God says it, He is holy, holy, holy. He is the creator and the author of everything. If He says it, 
We believe it. And we are to submit ourselves and be devoted to the Bible and what it says to the fellowship. It's not just eating together, though it is, sharing meals. But being of one heart, of one mind, all moving in the same direction. Being in fellowship, participating together. Also, breaking of bread means a meal. But more than that, taking the Lord's Supper. The early church was faithful to take the Lord's Supper to remember the body and the blood of Jesus given for them. And they were devoted to prayer. I believe this is where we fall short the most as a church, especially in America. They were devoted to prayer. And by God's grace, we want to see a a powerful prayer movement awaken in this church that we might be devoted to the Word of God, to prayer, to fellowship, to breaking bread together and proclaiming Jesus Christ. There's also great togetherness. Two times we're said that. We're said. It's said to us two times. Sorry. And all who believed were together. All who believed were together. Had all things in common. Then verse forty. Six, day by day, attending the temple together. There was togetherness in homes at the temple, and they were helping each other. They knew enough about each other's lives that they would sell what they had voluntarily to meet the needs of their own people. There was true togetherness, true love, true helping one another, and there was consistent day by day gathering in the temple and consistent day by day, meeting in homes, breaking bread. There was consistency in various ways they were gathering. We see, I believe, a pattern that the early church met in the temple to worship. That was their come. They gathered. And then they met in homes. That was their grow in a small group. We too are to come together online, on television, in small groups sometimes because of the virus, I know. Or those that feel comfortable gathering together here. We come. Free services, plenty of chances for you to find a place to come and connect, to give Jesus Christ the praise and worship He deserves. But then we meet together, we encourage each other, we help each other. And there's got to be consistency in that. But lastly, they're they're praising God. Because of all that he's doing, there's signs and wonders taking place. Our God is still a miracle working God. They're seeing God move in their midst every day. Somebody is coming to know Jesus Christ. There's salvations, there's baptisms, there's favor with the people, and great awe fell upon them. They could just see God at work and they praise him for it. It all comes back to worship. So, what does this mean for us this morning? Let's go back to that icon of come, Ricky. The cross and the arrow. If today you have never come by faith to Jesus Christ and made Him to be your Savior and Lord, if you've never gotten off of your throne and said, Jesus, I need you to change my life. I'm tired of playing games. Jesus, I want to give myself to you. I ask you to save me. I can't save myself. I can't stop this addiction. I can't stop my sin. It's controlling me. It's destroying me. Jesus Christ, would you help me? Jesus, I come to you. 
Would you forgive me? Would you make my life new? Would you cleanse me of my sins? I believe you died for me on the cross in my place. I believe you rose from the dead to give me life forever. I trust you, Jesus. I turn to you, Jesus Christ. That's coming to Jesus. I didn't say come down an aisle. I didn't say go through baptism. I'm talking about have you ever come to Jesus Christ by faith? That's where it starts. And then. Are you in your worship, church, giving Jesus the praise and glory and honor he's worthy of? Are you engaged as a participant or just a spectator in your Christian life? And lastly, are you gathering regularly because you need to be encouraged If you are not gathering yet in large group worship, that's fine. Just make sure some space in your life, you're having conversations, you're being sharpened, you're being encouraged. Don't let the enemy scatter the flock and weaken the church. Let's encourage each other all the more as the day of Jesus Christ draws near. Pray with me. Oh Lord, today. Let your church, let your people, let us get off our thrones and place our crowns before you, God. To him who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb be praise and glory and honor forever and ever. Oh God, I pray as we sing songs of of surrender today. As we sing a song of putting our trust in Jesus today. God, let your church come alive. Let your people humble ourselves and pray and come to Jesus to be encouraged. Help us, God, today, I pray, to truly give you the worship and the praise and the glory and honor that you deserve, God. Let us now be obedient to this great commission to take the gospel to every nation, every tribe, every tongue, because, Jesus, you've purchased people from every nation and tribe and tongue. They're going to be gathered around your throne throne. You've called us to take the gospel to everyone, God. Help us to go forth in the name of Jesus. All for his glory we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Would you stand now as we sing I surrender all and tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Right here is where we take in new members. If you want to be a part of this church, we'd love to start that process today. If you are like, Pastor, I want to come to Jesus. We'll make time out of the back. You guys can come down here, have a mask on. We'll say, yes, Jesus Christ. Maybe, maybe your heart's broken. You need to pray. Or you need prayer from me to you. You come. Just as Jesus laid his hand on John to encourage him, I'll lay my hand on you and encourage you and pray for you as your pastor. Let's come be obedient to baptism, to salvation, church membership. Just follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit right now and surrender all to God.